0: And like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer.
1: So now, Father, What would it be like if every person in this room on this day saw clearly how great and good and holy and right and just and merciful And gracious and compassionate and loving and powerful and able, you really are. What if we saw? But I'm praying for every person in this room today. That we will see who you are. That we will behold your greatness. And be changed. Lord, I believe the hope for our sin is to see you as you are. I believe the cure for our guilt is to see you as you are. I believe the hope for our depression is to see you as you are. I believe the solution to our apathy About your word and your kingdom. Is to see you as you are. I believe
2: that the solution. To our love of the world. Is to see you as you are. I believe the healing. Of our real pain and hurt and grief. Is to see you as you are.
1: I believe that. The hope.
2: For our physical brokenness is to see you as you are and so father in heaven in the name of jesus by the power of your spirit we are praying that this morning every person in this room would see you as you are and lord i know that some of us know what that means And we want to see more of you, so give us more. I know that some of us have no idea what it means to see you. And so I am praying that you would open the eyes of our minds and the eyes of our hearts to see that you are real and that you are present and that you reign and that you rule and that you are good and that you are with us and that you've sent your son Jesus so that we could have relationship with you. I'm praying that you would show that today, Father. And Lord, I know that in this room, there are several, if not many of us, who even doubt if you're real. Who even doubt if you exist. Who even doubt if you care. Lord, would you let us see you as you are.
1: And Father, I fear. I fear taking this psalm and making it too academic and too cerebral and too theological and too
2: category-driven such that we miss You. So Lord, amend my words. Amend my ways. Lord, we're entrusting the next 30 minutes to You. And we're praying that Your Spirit would speak in power to us, so that we would see you as you are.
1: Father, we praise you that you love us enough to reveal yourself and speak and guide, teach and show, and so we're praying that you would do those things this morning, and we're praying them in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you haven't already, please take a Bible,
2: turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. If you're new to the scripture, that's kind of right in the middle of the Bible.
1: Psalm 19. So, a little backstory here.
2: Last week, Redeemer Church celebrated our eighth anniversary. Uh, We celebrated eight years of God's goodness
1: and kindness and mercy to us. And on this anniversary, we are determined to not lose our way. We're determined to not lose our course.
2: Because we believe that Churches can grow, and rooms can be filled up, and expansion can happen, and new services can start, and you can run out of parking, and it all be done in the name of man, in the name of human things, and in the name of
1: just creating something. But we don't want to create something. We want to meet Jesus.
2: We want to glorify His name. We want to honor Him. We want to trust Him. We want to live by trusting Him. We want to seek the building of His kingdom above all else. And we want to see Christ honored and glorified in our lives, in this church, in the one mile radius of this building where there are 1,000 families throughout Hendersonville and to the ends of the earth we want to see Jesus exalted. So, for the next few weeks we're devoting our sermon times to considering the the very foundation of the church, the very foundation of Christianity. So, if you're here today and you're part of our church, this is what I want you to hear that the glory of God is the motive of the church. The glory of God is the motive of Christianity. If you're here today and you're not part of a church, you're here today kind of just exploring Christianity, if you're wondering what is this whole Jesus thing about? Here's what I want you to hear today. That the God who created everything also created me and you for the purpose that we would honor him And lift him high in everything. So, God has created all of us for the purpose that we would honor him, tell of his greatness, and bring fame to his name everywhere. That's why God made us. And that is at the core of Christianity that the God who made us has a purpose for us to exalt him and to exalt his greatness. And to exalt His saving power. So, Psalm 119 will become our guide. But the first pillar in our foundation
1: is this.
2: The motive and the reason why God created. And God's purpose for His creation. Is to glorify God in everything. The motive of why God created, the motive of why we exist, and the motive of what God desires from us is that we would glorify Him in everything. Now fear not, we're going to define our words here in a minute. But this is the purpose of our existence as people and of our existence as the church. That we would exalt and praise and honor And lift high the fame of the greatness of the God who is powerful and who saves and who is able and who is with his people. That is our motive. Many of you probably noticed the unfinished building on the other side of the parking lot when you came in. But as I was writing this sermon this week, I had my blinds opened. If I'm going to be honest, a little bit uptight and a little bit frustrated at things not going the way we wanted them to go. That's another story for another day. So I was, I was often peeking out the window, checking up on the workers. But what had to happen to that building was they had to get security at all four corners And they would slowly raise it, and then they would secure the four corners. And then they would slowly raise it, and they would secure the four corners. And then they would slowly raise it, and they would secure the four corners, right? And they did this eight times. But at any moment, if one corner fell out, what would have happened to the building? It would have toppled and cracked and been destroyed, and we wouldn't have had a building cares about the building. But the purpose is there is a visual metaphor for you as you walk out of this building today and look at the four corners of it. Every corner matters if the foundation is going to be strong. And if the foundation is not strong, the building crumbles. And so one of the four corners of the foundation of Christianity is our purpose, our motive, our pursuit. And it is to Bring glory to the name of our great God. So that's that is our foundational point this morning. For God's glory. And you could say, I was made for God's glory. You could say I exist for God's glory. If you are a Christian, you could say, I have been saved for God's glory. If if you are a Christian, you can say Our church exists for God's glory. And whether you are a Christian or not, what God would desire from you today and tomorrow and forever is that you would devote your whole being to His glory. And I think Psalm 19 drives that point home for us. So that's why we're going to look
1: at Psalm 19 this morning. So, our first point for those of you that like to take notes. The creation is correct. The creation is correct. Here's what verses one through six tell us. The heavens, the sky, the sun, the moon, all of the Earth. The ends of the world,
2: everything that exists, and and I'm taking out just humanity, everything will come to us later, but everything that exists besides humans was created by God to glorify God and all of that creation correctly glorifies God all of the time.
1: A very helpful preacher
2: named R.C. Sproul once said, What's wrong with humanity is we think we are cleaner than the dirt. The dirt is doing exactly what God created the dirt to do it sits there, it absorbs water, it feeds plants that then grow and give, take our wasteful carbon dioxide and make oxygen so that we can breathe it and we can have life and God's world can expand and the dirt does every bit of that to the praise of the glory of God. It doesn't try to steal His glory ever. Ever. And so what the first six verses of this psalm tell us is, everything that God made is always praising God and glorifying His name by doing exactly what He created it to do. Now, we need to define glory, and then we can talk about the creation for a minute. But I am intending, along with David, to knock you down a bit and recognize that in some ways, while yes, as humans, we're the crown of God's creation because the image of God lives in us in some ways we are also inferior to the creation because we have rebelled against the creator and the creation never has there is a sense in which it would be God's will that you would walk out of here today going I want my life to be as glorifying to God as the son is or as the skies are, or as the moon is. Because the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky never fail to honor their Creator and never once try to steal His glory. So let's define our terms. What does this phrase mean, the glory of God? So, so, lest you think I'm reading anything into this passage, just look at the first verse. The heavens declare, that's kind of a present tense and always, declare the glory of God. So, what are the heavens busy doing? Declaring, that is proclaiming, that is sharing, that is telling of the glory of God. Now, the glory of God has become, if you're under 40 like me, has become our cliche word that we use in the church so much that it has no meaning left whatsoever. Oh, to God be the glory. I am all about the glory of God. Do all things for the glory of God. God wants to be glorified. The purpose of me is... Like, we use these phrases so much that they've completely lost their meaning. So let me see if we can bring some meaning back to it. This is a hard term to define because it brings with it the totality of the overwhelming nature of how great God is. The glory of God is our overwhelming awe at how powerful and wise and good and merciful God is that prevents us from even feeling like we can explain how powerful and good and wise God is. So glory is a word that means high praise, high honor, exalting for noble achievements. So the glory of God is intended to be this catch-all phrase that binds up everything that God has revealed about Himself, His glory, Power, He made all things. His goodness, he, and His love, and His mercy, and His compassion, and His holiness, He never sins. He never does anything that is in error. He never does anything that is wrong. He is always just. He is always caring for His sheep. This totality of everything that is overwhelming and we can't put into words, the Bible calls that the glory of God. So a small, small, small example of glory comes when we as Christians watch sports. Small, small, small. I saw some of your face. I'm going very, very small, right? But there is that moment when you watch a sporting event when an athlete does something that it's dumbfounding to you that a human can actually do that. You know that moment, like where a guy walks up to a a home plate on a baseball field and hits a ball like 470 feet, and we just stand there and we go, I can't fathom that moment? Okay? So that unfathomableness of that minimal greatness is a glimpse into glory, okay? You guys all with me here? All right, let me see if I can help the musicians here, okay? Okay? So, some of you are like, dude, I don't do sports, and that just seems like a big British dude hitting something, right? Okay. It's hard, okay? It's
1: hard. But you go to a concert,
2: and you're watching Eric Clapton play the guitar. And all of a sudden, he does this thing with his hands that you can't make sense of, and he makes this noise come out of a guitar that sounds beautiful and rhythmic and perfect in a way that you're like, how is that humanly possible? I don't know how that could happen. That moment right there where you're dumbfounded and can't explain the greatness that you're experiencing, that is glory. It's just a glimpse of glory, okay? And so what the Bible tells us is that God in His character, and in His person, and in His being, and in His existence, has made everything that exists by the word of His power. He spoke, and it came to be. Let there be light, and it was so. This is Genesis 1, if you're new to the Bible. Let there be a separation between the land and the water, and it was so. Let there be human beings formed out of dirt, and I will breathe into them the breath of life, and it was so. And I hold the universe together by the word of my power. And it is so.
1: And I am present with
2: my people. So that they will know that I am with them and they care for them. And it is so. And I will send my only son into the world to reveal who I am Purely and clearly for all to see. And He will give His life upon a cross to pay the penalty for the rebellion of man. And He will rise the third day and defeat sin and defeat death. And it is so. And I will return again And I will subject the totality of the world to my greatness and my power for the good of my people and it will be. The totality of the greatness of God and our inability to even begin to explain it is the glory of God. And God... One reason of many why He made the heavens and the earth was so we could look at the heavens and the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars and everything that exists and we could begin to see our inability to articulate the greatness of God. And one reason why He made us is so that we could see His greatness and everything that is going on on the face of the earth right now is intended to give us that moment that I was talking about with the athlete or that moment with the musician where you go, there is something so great about God that I cannot explain it. That is his glory and he wants us to praise him for his glory. So the Bible tells us that God created to reveal His glory. The Bible tells us that God desires to receive glory. And Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens and the sky and the earth and all of the creation perfectly exists and declares the greatness of God. So look outside. Be overwhelmed. Look outside and take a picture of the sunset and post it on Facebook and say what amazing God we serve. Because that happens about 5,000 times a day. But that is a good thing because that is the point. The point of the Grand Canyon, the point of the Rocky Mountains, the point of the oceans and the seas is that every time we gaze upon them, we think to ourselves, the God who spoke this into existing is over. I think one reason why we get to go into delivery of children is to stand back and just say the God who made life and this process is overwhelmingly good and powerful. And I cannot begin to scratch the surface of explaining how great he is. The heavens tell of the glory of God. So the point from Psalm 19, 1 through 6 is that the creation is correct in that it is always telling of God's greatness and God's glory, and God would want us to learn something from the creation. Which leads to a second point. I, I would love to stay there for weeks, but it leads to a second point. I have to move on. The creation is correct but the Word is more clear. The creation is correct, but the Word is more clear. And that's verses 7 through 11. And by the Word here, I mean the Word of God. And the Word of God is recorded for us in what we call the Bible. So this is the Bible. And did you know that the purpose of the Bible is not to give us rules to live by, the purpose of the Bible is not to make our lives better. The purpose of the Bible is not necessarily to make us feel guilty. The purpose of the Bible is not to make us think that we can earn God's favor. The purpose of the Bible is to show us God in the face of His Son, Jesus Christ. And every page is intended to cause us to see the greatness of God and to praise Him for His greatness. So what David says in Psalm 19, 7 through 11, he calls it the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. But what he says is, it is better. It's perfect. It revives the soul. It's sure, making wise the simple. It's right, rejoicing the heart. It's pure, enlightening the eyes. It's clean, it's true. It's to be desired more than gold, and it is sweeter than honey from a honeycomb. Do you, do you see what's going on there? David is grasping for language of perfection. And he says, just as much as the creation tells of God's glory, the Word shows us God purely. And is, cannot be misunderstood. Because we could go out to the Grand Canyon and say... Man, whoever made that is pretty awesome, right? But Genesis 1, God says, I made it. See what's going on there? We can look up at the sunset and at a beautiful sunset and we could say, that is amazing. Whoever made that is powerful. But in the Scripture, God says,
1: I made it. We could go to a
2: childbirth And we can say, this is an amazing experience. Whoever created this is amazing. But by His Word, God says, I knitted you together in your mother's womb. And I formed you. And I brought you to be. So God's saying, I did it. You see, the Word is the trustworthy testimony of who God is and why God acts and the word is a more clear picture for us of who God is and what his glory is. So the word of God is God revealing himself to us so that we may know him and praise him and glorify him. And so the glory of God is seen supremely in what God has revealed about Himself. The glory of God is seen supremely in God helping us see Him for His greatness and His power and His mercy and His might. God has spoken so that we would know Him and we would glorify One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. There we're told that there are some things about God that we will never know, that we will never understand. But God has revealed things about Himself in His creation and through His Word that are intended to become ours that we would cherish them and know Him and live for His glory God's Word is a more clear picture of His greatness for us. God's Word is the interpretation of His greatness to help us understand it accordingly.
1: So Christian, actually everybody, everybody, I would say to you, study
2: the creation, with your Bible in your hand. Study the greatness of God with the interpretation in your hand. You guys remember English class? High school English class? Anybody remember that? Anybody struggle through that like I did? Yeah? I just hated when we would read some fairy tale kind of thing and then the teacher would be like, What do you think that means? Or what do you think that metaphor was intended to point to? Like, you remember those weird moments in in English class? Or was that just me being too literal about everything? Yeah, yeah. So what if you were having that discussion in English class about the metaphor, but the author got invited? And the author was there to say, well, when I wrote that, this is what I meant. And when I wrote that, this is what I wanted you to feel. And when I wrote that, this is what I wanted you to think. That's what the Bible is for us. It's God telling us how to think about His creation and telling us how to think about His greatness and telling us how to think about His power. So to be saturated in the Word is just to take seriously wanting to know God and giving Him the glory that He desires and deserves.
1: Which leads to a third point. Remember at the beginning I said I want to talk about all the creation except
2: humanity? I'm going to bring humans into this now. So now I'm talking about me and you. I'm talking about us. Third point, we need help.
1: We need help.
2: So if God created everything for the praise of His glorious name and God desires to be glorified above all else and the Word is a clear picture of what it means to know God and honor God, then we need help because we fail to glorify God. We fail to honor God. We fail to bring glory to His name over and over and over again. And I believe that's why David wrote verses 12 through 14. So let me read them to you. Who can discern his errors? David's saying, Who can know how broken he is? So, David's saying that Jamie can't discern Jamie's errors. You can put your name there, unless you just want to point fingers at me, and then you can do that too. David says, Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, verse twelve just feels like a big shift from verses one through eleven, right? Right, like heavens declare the glory of God; the law of the Lord is pure. How can I know my errors? Right, like it just kind of feels like a big shift. So much so that many scholars have argued that, that Psalm nineteen should be divided into two separate psalms. They've tried to argue that they don't go together. They've tried to argue that they're not one thing. But I think they are one thing. Well, A, because God put them together like that. But second, it makes total sense. Here's what David's saying. The heavens declare the glory of God. The word is a pure testimony of God's greatness. And I don't do it. I need help. I believe David is meditating on the son's Obedience to God and the son's worship of God and the son's glorifying of God and he's looking at his own broken adulterous life and going I don't know how I fail how the son is able to glorify God more than me. I think David is reflecting on his human sinfulness, his human brokenness, his human need for redemption, and he is wondering what is it going to take for him to do what the sun does and what the stars do and what the moon does. And here's the hope. The hope is God is here to help us do what He asks us to do. So look at the last sentence of this. David confesses His error, his faults, his sin, his need for help, his desire to be changed. And he says, God, would you change me? And then look at the last sentence. "O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is a declaration of faith. So David is not a pagan. Wondering what it means to become a follower of God. David is a child of God who is loved by God, who is walking in the promises of God, who has been redeemed from his sin by God, who has been forgiven by God, who knows that God is with him and God will never leave him nor forsake him. And yet, David needs to be transformed. And yet, David falls short of God's glory. And yet, David rebels against God. So David is saying, God, would you help me to glorify you as you desire to be glorified?
1: Now, we as Christians
2: love to look at passages like this and point our fingers out at people that aren't a part of the church. But we need to point our fingers, all of them right back at ourselves and say, this is a passage written primarily to God's people by a king over God's people telling them to pray and ask the Lord to mold their hearts to bring glory to His name. So how do we do that? How do we bring glory to God's name? First
1: of all, the Bible Defines
2: the problem with the world as sin. The Bible defines the problem with the world as sin. And the Bible defines sin as many different things Um, turning against God's ways, disobeying God's word. But one way that the Bible defines sin is in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. I'd encourage you to write that down Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And the, and, and the Apostle Paul there defines sin as this, to fall short of God's glory. And, and if you're like not comfortable with church language, you're like, what in the world does that mean? The, what Paul is saying is that sin is stealing God's glory in the name of my pleasure and my glory. So to rebel against God, to disobey God, to break God's commands, to not follow after God, to not depend upon God, is to steal His glory. And so what Romans 3.23 tells us is that what's going on in the world is a glory competition. Will I use my life to honor me or to honor God? Will I use our collective witness to honor us or to honor God? Because to steal God's glory, Romans 3.23 calls it sin. Calls it sin. So God would desire that we not be found stealing His glory, but using our lives to glorify His holy name. And so I want
1: to give you five ways to use your life
2: to glorify the name of God. I'm trusting that you believe me based on verses 12 through 14, that David was led by God to ask for God's help to glorify
1: God. And I'm saying that if that's what
2: God wanted from David, that's what God wants from us. So this is how we do it. How do we use our lives
1: to glorify God? Five ways. Number one, trust Jesus Christ for salvation, forgiveness, and acceptance before God. Trust
2: Jesus Christ for salvation, acceptance, and forgiveness before God. You might be like, hold up, pastor. How did you give from Psalm 19 all the way to Jesus? Because Jesus took us there.
1: John chapter 1, verse
2: 14. Jesus said that He is the only begotten Son of the Father, full of glory and of
1: grace. Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father,
2: full of God's glory. We see God's glory through Jesus. And then write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 6, it all gets tied together. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that is a reference to the creation in Genesis 1. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see what Paul's saying there? We see the greatness of God by looking on the face of Jesus. And if God has opened our eyes to see His redeeming Son, to see His saving Son, to see His greatness manifested through Jesus, then we have seen the greater glory of God. If you want to know God, you run to Jesus. Jesus also said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But if Jesus is the manifestation of the glory of God, we only glorify God when we run to Jesus. So if you don't get anything else today, get that. I cannot glorify God without Jesus Christ.
1: Friends, we have to write that down. We
2: have to believe that. We have to cling to that. Be as good as you want to try to be. Apart from Jesus, you cannot glorify God.
1: Be as humble as you want to try to be. Apart from Jesus, you cannot glorify God. And I believe that's why, at the end of Psalm 119,
2: verse 14, David said, Help me. My rock, my redeemer. Because he knew that it was the coming son of God who made him acceptable in God's sight.
1: David knew it. So if, you,
2: if, if the last 35 or 40 or maybe an hour, I'm just going to go today. It's raining. You don't want to leave anyway. And I don't have anywhere to be because the baseball field's closed. So we're just going to go with it. But if you didn't get anything out of the last 40 minutes, get this. Apart from Jesus Christ, I cannot please God. I cannot glorify God. It is not possible. I will steal his glory in my sin over and over and over again without Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never professed faith in Jesus, this is the day. Today, call upon his name. Jesus, I know that you're real. Jesus, I know that you came and lived and died and rose again so that I could see God as he is and I could be changed. Will you save me? You can say that to him today. He'll hear you. He'll receive you. He'll make you his own. Without Jesus, we cannot please God. We cannot glorify God without Jesus because Jesus came to show us the glory of God.
1: Now, all you people that have been Christians longer than I've been alive, actually everybody
2: that would claim the name of Christ, we are so prone to try to live like we don't need
1: Jesus. I don't know why. I just think
2: it's our fallenness. But we need the grace of God that flows through the blood of Jesus to work in us over and over and over and over and over. I'm not saying we get redeemed over and over and over, but I'm saying that is the power. Jesus is the power. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the strength. And the minute we cut ourselves off from him, we are nothing and we are stealing God's glory. You see, the cross keeps us humble before God Christ had to die because of me, because of my sin, because of my rebellion, and I need what only He can do for me. If you want to glorify God with your life, trust
1: Jesus for salvation. Number two. Repeatedly, stressing repeatedly, repeatedly, Run to God in His Word, in prayer,
2: and in devotion. Repeatedly, run to God in His Word, in prayer, and in devotion. I think what 40 almost years of living has taught me is that my heart will find ways to love the world more than I love Jesus. My heart will find ways to make my greatest joy something besides Jesus. And Jesus came so that I would delight in Him. And the only way I know how to do that is to repeatedly run to God in the Bible, in prayer, and in seeking to commit my life to His ways. If you would like some help learning how to read the Bible, or how to pray, or how to talk with God, please come and talk to me. I would love to help you with that. Number three, worship God for His greatness. Take what you know to be true about God and always defer it back to His power and to His praise. An author named C.J. Mahaney says that humble people end their day by deferring back to God all the praise that is due Him for the good things that happened. Today, and how prone we are to steal God's glory
1: in every good thing. You know,
2: athletes in interviews on ESPN get it half right. When they say, no matter what the first question is, don't you find this humorous? Like, no matter what the first question is, an athlete says, well, hold on, first of all, I want to praise my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then goes on to talk about how awesome they are for 50 minutes, right? So they get it half right, like, yes, I need to recognize God's greatness, but not only do I need to recognize God's greatness, but I need to recognize that everything good God has done through me was not so that people would praise me, but so that they would praise God's greatness, Don't be found stealing God's glory through the good things that He does through you. So husbands, if you finally swallow those angry words and love your wives as Christ loved the church, that's by the power of the Holy Spirit so that God would be glorified in your marriage. And don't steal that glory by patting yourself on the back.
1: Don't worry women, it goes the other way too.
2: If you do something awesome that is praiseworthy and people praise you for it, be sure not to be found stealing the glory of God because He blessed you so that His name would be exalted. That's why He did it. Whole sermon, come back. Number
1: four. Repeatedly,
2: again the emphasis on repeatedly, turn away from sin, And turn back to God in repentance. Repeatedly turn away from sin and turn back to God in repentance. So if you're not a part of a church, like this might blow your mind, we actually think we sin too. We believe that. We believe that everyone in this room rebels against God frequently. The only difference between us and people who aren't Christians is that we believe Christ died for that sin and that His Spirit is in us to help us and we can turn away from it. That's the difference. The difference is we don't have to be defined by our sin. So Christian, be found turning away from your sin. Believe Romans 3.23. To sin is to steal God's glory.
1: Number five, invite the world to know this great and glorious God. Invite the world to know this great and glorious God. Have you ever thought what would it be like
2: if everything that had breath actually did praise the Lord? Have you ever thought what it would be like if everything that had breath actually did? used our breath and our life and our being to honor Jesus? You ever
1: thought about that? God has. And that's
2: why he sent his son Jesus into the world, was to make that happen. And Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 14, tells us that one day it will be so. It tells us that one day the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters covers the sea. That's pretty full, right? The waters cover the sea, full of water. One day, the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth in the same way. That's why Christ came. That's what Christ desires. Let us be a people that are so motivated by God's glory that we invite the world to know this great God.
1: Uh, Worship team, you guys, go ahead and make your way up. If you're a visitor today, this is probably the longest service we've had in ages. I'm kind of sorry, but I'm kind of not. I'll go down the hall and apologize to all the workers in a minute.
2: But get this, God desires to be glorified and all the earth, and particularly he desires to be glorified through us as his children. So I pray we all walk out of here with this resounding in our souls. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We're going to conclude this service by taking the Lord's Supper together, and this will be the, the last element of our service. Uh, We take the bread and the cup each week as a celebration and a remembrance of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So Jesus gave this celebration, the bread and the cup, to his children. He gave it to those who know him and who believe in him and profess faith in him. And so if you join us in professing faith in Christ, we would invite you to take the bread and take the cup as a way of saying, God desires to be glorified through me and Jesus came so that I would glorify God. Take this with us as an act of worship. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you've not professed faith in Christ, we would ask that you let the bread and the cup pass because this is a testimony of our faith in Him. But we would invite you today to meet with Jesus and I would love to talk to you about that. So if those who are coming to serve would come forward,
1: we're going to pass the bread and the cup now.